Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. And as you get settled in your seat, uh, let's open up our Bibles to the book of 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you today, you're going to find one in a, underneath a chair nearby you. So I'd encourage you to grab one of those and get God's Word open in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that with you. That's our gift to you. We would love for you to walk out of here with a copy of God's Word. One of my favorite things to do here is to buy more Bibles. When people say, Mark, we need more Bibles, I'm like, praise the Lord, let's buy some more. So that's our gift to you. Well, we've been working our way through this letter of 1 John. As, as we've been studying this, one of the themes that emerges from this letter is that true believers love one another. And last week, Pastor Brock preached 1 John 4, verses 7 through 12. And the key theme from those verses was loving one another. And as he began to unpack those verses, they really kind of fell into three parts. Part one was that the simple command is for us to love one another. That was part one. Part two was God's audaciously gracious love for us. And then part three was the simple command to love one another in light of God's audaciously gracious love for us. And so we can walk away from that sermon, and we probably did, saying, amen, I love that. Those are beautiful truths. But the reality is, sometimes in life, while we know that in our heads, we can struggle in our hearts in a couple of ways with that. The first is that we can find ourselves doubting that God can truly love us like that. So you may have walked away last week and said, praise the Lord, I get it, I understand, but quite frankly, I'm just not feeling God's love right now. Like I'm going through some things in my life and God just seems distant from me. Or maybe you just have this feeling that you're not worthy to be loved like that. You'd say, man, if you knew some of the things that was in my past, you'd realize it's hard for me to even get my head around that I'd be worthy to be loved like that. Or maybe you've grown up in an environment and an experience that was anything but love. Maybe trauma and survival defined your growing up as opposed to love. And so for you to even have a category in your head, let alone your heart, for an audaciously gracious love like that. Well, another way that we can kind of walk away from that and struggle is in this call for us to love others as God has loved us, especially in light of the way that God loves us. So last week, as Brock was working his way through these, through these verses, he, we were able to see four different characteristics of God's love for us. And those are kind of guidelines for us as we seek to love others. And so we, we saw last week that God's love intentionally pursues and draws near to us. He draws near to us. We also saw that God's love gives life. We saw that God's love is not transactional. In other words, it's not based on how well we love him or how lovable we are. It's a covenant, not a contract. And finally, we saw that God's love is self-sacrificing. He gave of himself for us. And with those as the standards, those are very high bars, right? They're beautiful truths, but they're high bars for us. And as we were sitting around my dining room table this past week in small group, just unpacking that and talking about this whole command to love one another, it was obvious that all of us struggle in one way or another in living that out. And so, 
that can lead us to potentially despair or potentially just giving up and saying, you know what, I just can't love others like that. I'm going to leave that to somebody else that's more gifted for that. Well, brothers and sisters, hear this. John, the author of this letter, does not want you to despair or to question God's love for you. You see, he desperately wants to assure us of God's love for us and his abiding in us, and he's going to show us that the evidence of that is a confidence before God and this natural flow of love for one another. That's consistent with the theme of this entire letter. John wants us to rest assured. That's why he keeps going back to it again and again and again. So let's get into the Word. If your Bible's in front of you, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to start at verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he, does not love his, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we get into your word today, Lord, I'm praying that you're going to teach us, Father. Lord, help us to rest assured of your love for us that you're abiding in us, Lord. We want to have a confidence before you. We want to love others well, Lord. Please do a work through your word today, Father. Lord, more of you, less of me. Father, move in our hearts today. Do what only you can do, Father. We love you. We are so grateful for Jesus, and we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, in our text today, I decided to start with verse 12, even though that was the last verse that we touched on last week. And the reason is because it's kind of a summary verse, or a subheader, if you will, that the verses that follow are an unpacking of that verse. So I thought it was appropriate for us to start there. So let's go back to verse 12. It says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Now John is going to begin to unpack this whole God abiding in us. He says, verse 13, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And this is the first point in our outline today, is that we can have assurance of God abiding in us. We can have assurance of God abiding in us. Now, your translation may, instead of using the word abide, it may say live or dwell or reside. That's what it means here. So it may read for you, By this we know that we live in him and he in us. So I want to spend some minutes here talking about about this whole idea of God abiding or living in us because 
This is critical for understanding the very nature of Christianity. So Christianity is not just some set of doctrines or beliefs or behaviors that we have to follow. If someone comes up to you and finds out you're a Christian, and it's like, why are you a Christian? Or how do you know you're a Christian? And you say, well, I, I go to church on Sundays. Um, I'm in a small group. I, I listen to K-Love. Uh, th- those, are, those are all good things, but if that's their definition of Christianity, you're mistaken. You see, Christianity is its very core. It's a relationship between us and the God of the universe. And it's so personal and intimate that the God of the universe will come and dwell or live within us in the form of the Holy Spirit. See, he draws near to us. He actually resides in us. And John wants us to know and to not waver in our assurance of God abiding in us. But how do we know? Because he says here, by this we know. How do we know? He says, because he has given us of his spirit. And he's speaking here of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. This is where it all starts. John's order here is very intentional. You see, our ability to know God and to love God is not possible aside from the work of the Holy Spirit. It's initiated by him. He initiates, not us. That goes right into verse 14. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. So John uses this word, and. So he's like, okay, this is how we know we abide in him and he in us. He's given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Now, who's the we that he's talking about here? John here, the we, he's talking about himself and the other apostles who were eyewitnesses of Jesus and his ministry. He's not talking about the collective we. He's talking about those who walked with him and saw him. Now, where do I get that? It's right for you to be saying, okay, Mark, that's nice, but where do you get it? In verse 14, he says, and we have seen. That verb he uses there, seen, is the same verb that's used in verse 12. Look at again at verse 12. No one has ever seen God. And in the context of verse 12, John is clearly saying not everybody has physically seen God with their eyes. He's not talking about there about seeing him through the eyes of your heart. or He's like, no one has ever seen, physically seen God. It's the same verb used in 14. And we have seen and testify. Most of the people, even then, that were reading this letter, the majority of them would not have been eyewitnesses of Jesus. So he is talking here about him and the other apostles who walked with Jesus and learned from him and are now testifying, who are now spreading the good news, who are now starting the churches, they are testifying that Jesus is the Son of God, that God sent him to be the Savior of the world. So, let's pause over that. I want to linger here over this testimony that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Now, it's significant that John calls Jesus Savior because it has rich Old Testament linkages. In the Old Testament, God is oftentimes referred to as Savior. So John here, in calling Jesus Savior, is acknowledging his divinity as well as his role in our salvation. But we have to ask the question, why do we need a Savior? Why is that? Well, the reality is, all of us, every one of us, has done things that God has said not to do. And we've not done things that God said to do. And the Bible calls that sin. 
The Bible says that sin has broken our relationship with God. We've rebelled against him. We've known his commandments and we've broken his commandments. God set a standard and we failed to meet it. And none of us in here need to be convinced of that. We know that. We don't even meet our own standards, let alone God's standards. And there's a penalty for our sin. The Bible is very clear. There's a penalty for our sin, and that is death and eternal separation from God in hell. And even though we try to offset that, like we want to do good, we try, and through our good deeds, try and offset that somehow. Certainly, we can tip the scales in our favor, but no matter how hard we try, we can't do it. We still stand guilty because we've broken his commandments. For 10 years, um, I had the privilege of mentoring men in prison. Once a week, I would go to a men's prison. I'd spend an hour in mentoring men there. One of the guys I mentored was there because he'd robbed a bank. Now, let me give you some of his story. He did not have a previous criminal history um, to speak of. He um, had his own construction business. He employed people. He paid those people. He paid taxes. He had a very good construction business. He had a busy business. He was used a lot. He had children and an ex-wife who he supported regularly with finan financially, and he was in his kids' lives. So one day, he goes to the bank, and the specific reason he went to the bank was to withdraw funds from an account that he had, he had the money in the bank, he went to withdraw those funds because he was going to give them to his ex-wife and his kids. They were getting ready to go on vacation. And he wanted to give them some extra money for that. So he walks into the bank that day, and instead of just withdrawing the funds from the account that he had, he decided to rob the bank. And he told me very clearly, I have no idea why I robbed the bank that day. Now, fast forward to his trial. He, if he's standing before the judge, I think that he legitimately could make an argument for the judge. Hey, judge, like, I robbed the bank. You've got me on video. I know it. We know it. But look at how that balances with everything else. Like, I've got a, a company that I'm running. I've got people that I'm paying. Their, their, uh, their lifestyle, their, their, they're being paid by me. That, it's impacting theirs. I'm helping my kids. I'm helping my ex-wife. I'm paying my taxes. Like, we're busy. We're doing good things. I can't go to prison. Wouldn't it be better if I were out? Look at all the good. And I just, I just one thing. Now, if the judge would have said, you know, you're right. I think the good there outweighs the bad. You're free to go. I think that we would say that wasn't a good judge. And why would we say that? Because justice had not been done. You see, there's a penalty for robbing a bank. And for, not, for him to say, no, nobody has to pay that penalty would be to make light of that. So even though he can make a good argument, he was still guilty. The only way for him to not have done that time would have been, if it were possible, somebody to step up who was innocent and to say, you know what, man, he needs to be out. He shouldn't be in. I'm going to do the time for him. He needed a substitute in order to avoid that. And that's the situation we find ourselves in. You see, all of us stand guilty before our God, who is the great judge. And no matter how hard we're trying to kind of get the good to outweigh the bad, we're still guilty before him. We need a substitute. We need a savior. Enter Jesus. And so John, who wrote this letter, also wrote the Gospel of John. And he wrote these words in John 
chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. These are very familiar words, but let's read them again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's probably the most famous verse in the Bible. People who don't own a Bible know that verse. The next two are also extremely important, 17 and 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. See, we didn't need to be condemned. We're condemned already. We know. We know we've fallen short. But in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You see, John says, you just need to believe. You don't need to do, you don't need to perform. Just believe. And that leads us right into our next verse here in 1 John. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. You see, our role is to confess Jesus as the Son of God. And this confession is the belief that John spoke of in John 3.16. He said, just believe. To believe is to confess Jesus as the Son of God. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, not a good teacher, or I believe Jesus walked the earth and he was a prophet, or he was a social change champion, or whatever. We're confessing Jesus as the Son of God. And that confession is only possible because of the work of the Holy Spirit, which we saw in verse 13, and because of the testimony of the apostles that we have in this book. That's from verse 14. See, God initiated. So we can know, we can rest assured that God abides in us and us in him because of the Holy Spirit and because of the testimony of the apostles, which leads us to confessing that Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 16, so, okay, he's told, he's told us all that. We have this assurance. So, therefore, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. And that's the second point in our outline today. We can have an assurance of God's love for us. John says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Now, those are two interesting words. As I was studying this week, I kind of just ran over that initially, and then I came back like, know and believe, those are two interesting words to get, okay, what is it, John? Is it I know, or do I just believe? And as I was studying, I, I found that John uses those two words together frequently in his Gospel of John. And so I'm just going to share with you two examples. You don't need to turn there. I'm going to read these to you, just so that you can see two examples of where he puts these words together. Because together, they're giving us an assurance. In John chapter 6, this is Peter speaking to Jesus. Peter says this, And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter is confessing Jesus here. He says, We have believed and we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. In John chapter 10, Jesus is speaking to the Jewish leaders who are challenging him and are saying, why should we believe who you say you are? What is your testimony worth? Jesus says to them this, believe the works. In other words, you've seen the works I've done. You've seen the miracles. You've seen the healing. Believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. So John in our text today, he says that we can know. He says there's an assurance. But he also says, and we believe, which means there's more to come, okay? We have knowledge, but we don't have full knowledge this side of heaven. 
We know, but not yet completely. I have, but not yet fully. There's more to come. This is what John's getting at here. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us and that God abides in us and us in him. Those are beautiful words of assurance. So let me ask you, do you find yourself wondering whether or not God's audaciously gracious love really applies to you? Do you struggle with feeling worthy of that kind of love? Have you simply not experienced that kind of love in your life? Well, God wants you to know that you can have assurance. Have you confessed Jesus is the Son of God? Because if you have, that would only be possible because of the work of the Holy Spirit and the testimony of this book. See, God initiated that. God's saying, rest assured. You see, God truly loves you with an audaciously gracious love, and he is abiding in you. John wants us to have assurance of that. And that's an amazing truth. He wants us to know and to believe. And as amazing as that is, this whole idea of God abiding in us, John's going to get, he's getting ready to say something else. He's got more to tell us. And he's going to say something that I would say is very radical. So let's see what he has to say as he's going to talk about the evidence of this assurance. Verse, let's continue at verse 16 because we haven't finished that verse yet. So verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. And so, let's look at that that phrase, by this is love perfected with us. Now, that's what I would call a radical statement. Like, what does John mean by that? Is he suggesting that somehow God's love still needs to be perfected in some way? Or is he saying that somehow God living in us allows us to love perfectly? Because if that's the case, I'm failing. It's important that we understand what this word means. So this word is used, this Greek word is used multiple times in the New Testament. And oftentimes it is translated as completed or accomplished. And that's the implications here. So in fact, your translation may even say, by this is love made complete with us. That's the idea here, made complete, accomplished. So I use this word perfected in this context. You may as well. I'll give you an example. I'm trying to set up a meeting with somebody, and we're back and forth, like, when can you meet? I can't meet then, and let's find a time. And then eventually, we arrive on a time and a place. I typically respond to that, and they say, perfect, see you there. Now, I don't mean by that that the whole process has been perfect or that that time and that place is necessarily perfect. I just simply mean it's accomplished. It's complete. I'll see you there. We've, we've reached that. So we can read this as, by this is love made complete with us. Now, before we move on, we've got to look at this, by this. He says, by this is love. By what? By what is love perfected to made complete with us? He's pointing back to the end of verse 16 here. So let's read it together. Verse 16, second half. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us. The by this is pointing back to our abiding in love. And we see this. This is an echo of what we just read in verse 12 as well. So let your eyes go up to verse 12. Let's reread 12. 
Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Okay? If, put those together, if we love one another, his love is perfected in us. Okay, so what does all that mean? Like, boil it down. I think it's, it means this very simply. That if we love one another, God's love is perfected or made complete in us. Okay? Let me put it another way. Perfected love must mean God's abiding in us being manifested in our love for one another. It's basically God's love put on display through actions of us in loving others. It's not just talk, it's love in action. It's God's love made real in the lives of others through us. His love perfected, made complete, accomplished. Our family has been through some rough waters recently. Um, Specifically, my father-in-law passed away a month ago. And both my wife and my daughter have had um, unexpected hospital stays just within the last two weeks. And through those events, we've experienced firsthand the love of God as expressed through our brothers and sisters. And so it was expressed in the simple act of people walking through the doors of a funeral home just to be there for us, to pray with us, to let us know they're thinking about us. It was expressed in people walking through the doors of a hospital room to say, how are you doing? Just hang out with you here for a little bit. We're going to give up our time for you. It was expressed in texts and calls. How are you doing? What's the update? How can we be praying? It was expressed in people bringing meals to our home. Like, we felt loved. Those are simple acts, but they were significant to us in putting God's love on display. His love perfected or made complete in and through those people. So let's continue. We're in verse 17. Let's get our eyes back there. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So, it says, so that, verse 17 says, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Now, today's sermon is not about the day of judgment, so I'm not going to spend time there, other than to say that the Bible is very clear that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, that day is coming. But John says that we can have confidence for that day. He says that love perfected in us or made complete through us can give us confidence and not fear. We do not need to fear that day. And why is that? Why can we approach that day with confidence? We need to understand that. Verse 17, it says it right here, because. It says we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. That's an important phrase. As he is, so also are we in this world. Who is the he that he's referring to here? He's referring to Jesus. Some of your translations actually put Jesus right there. He's referring to Jesus. He says, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. In what way are we like Jesus? Like, clearly not in all of our attitudes and our actions, right? I mean, hopefully we're heading in that direction. Hopefully we're moving in that direction, but we're not there yet. In what way are we like Jesus? You see, we are like Jesus in our standing 
before God. The Bible tells us that if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So for the believer, for the one who has confessed Jesus as the Son of God, for the one who has accepted Jesus as the Savior sent from the Father, you see, there's no punishment waiting on us at the end. There's no wrath of God being held waiting to pour out on you. Hope and assurance have replaced shame and guilt. Like heaven is assured and hell has been closed. And that's an amazing truth. Therefore, God's love perfected in us is evidenced by a confidence before God, a confidence and not a fear. We don't need to fear that day. And so you might be thinking, yes, yes, I love that truth. That is awesome. But I still feel this tension of letting these truths fill my heart in such a way that I start to love others as God has loved us. Like, I still feel like I'm failing in loving with a Christ-like love. Well, John's not done yet. Let's see what else he has to say to us. Verse 19, let's pick it up there. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar, for he does not He who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. See, John says the assurance of God's love for us and his abiding in us will be evidenced by our love for our brothers and sisters. And remember what Jesus said. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. And the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, love God and love others. He said, all the law and the prophets hang on those two things. Loving God and loving others just go together. And so look again at verse 20. John says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. How do you feel about that, John? It's pretty, pretty straight. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You see, all of us are made, the Bible says we are made in the image of God. Like all of us in all of our diversity are all image bearers of God. John Calvin says, in reflecting on verse 20, he says this, It is a false boast when anyone says that he loves God but neglects his image, which is before his eyes. And that's convicting, right? I mean, that is a sobering test for us. And you're probably thinking, hey, Mark, you're not helping me feel a lot better about not loving as God loved us. Well, let's go again to verse 19. Let's read 19 again. We love because he first loved us. Like, if you get nothing else today, Bury that truth deep in your heart. Be encouraged by that. Be humbled by that. He initiated it. It didn't depend on us. Like, it wasn't us being lovable or getting to a certain point or getting ourselves to look a certain way. Like, he initiated. And and notice as well that he doesn't add anything after the word love. He doesn't have an... He just says, we love It doesn't say we love God because he first loved, or we love us. He said, we just love because he first loved us. Because you see, 
That's our nature, our ability to love God and others. It's only possible because of God's love for us. His abiding in us, which he initiated. You see, we're changed from the inside. Like, that's just our new nature. My daughter has type 1 diabetes, which means that she takes insulin to keep herself alive. Eli Lilly and company, our Indianapolis-based pharmaceutical company, is one of the largest manufacturers of insulin in the world. I worked there for 28 years. When my daughter was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, my job got really, really personal. <laughs> Lily has to make a lot of insulin. Lily makes insulin synthetically, but the synthetic insulin they make is an exact copy of the human insulin protein that is in your body. The way Lily makes that insulin is fascinating. They use E. coli bacteria. Get that. E. coli bacteria is making life-saving, life-sustaining medicine. Now, an E. coli bacteria cell in its natural state has no ability to make human insulin, no matter how hard it tries. Oh, I gotta make insulin! I can't do it! They have no ability to do it. But Lilly scientists figured out a way to go inside the E. coli, modify its DNA to give it the information and the capability of making an exact replica of a human insulin protein. They turn them into little insulin factories. Is that fascinating? And now the E. coli can't help it but make insulin. They don't even need to work at it anymore. You see, they were changed from the inside. It's now their nature. My friends, brothers and sisters, God is love. Whoever confesses Jesus as the Son of God, God abides them, and he and God, we are changed from the inside. We cannot not love our brothers and sisters. So God's love perfected in us or made complete in us is evidenced by love for others. So if you've struggled with this feeling that somehow you're falling short of what God's calling you to do here with loving others, John has provided us assurance of God's love for you and his abiding in you. And your loving others is simply the overflow of who you are now in him. Because when we try to do this in our own power, like, it is exhausting. We are unable to do it. You can't willpower it to happen, okay? This is now your nature. God abiding in you will naturally be flowing through you in loving others. And the fact that he has chosen to make his love perfect or complete through us is amazing. Rest assured. Rest assured in the amazing truth that God loves you, that he abides in you. And just let the overflow of God in you manifest itself in love for others. Well, today we're going to close this service with a time of communion. And so if you're serving communion today, you can go ahead and start heading to the back. And once you get the trays, go ahead and bring those up. And that's how we're going to finish today. So I know in times like this, as they're moving to the back and you're kind of starting to pack up, this can be, a, uh, um, can be an unsettling time. I know I've been sitting out there. So as they're making their way back, just a couple of things here to reflect on as we finish up today. You see, John's purpose in writing these things is to give us assurance of God's love for us and his abiding in us. The Father has sent His Son to be our Savior. And He wants us to experience confidence before Him 
And he wants us to make his love perfected or completed by loving others. And as we share communion today, this is a chance for us to reflect back, to look back on the cross of Jesus Christ, to reflect on what Christ did for us because he went to that cross to pay the penalty that we deserved. You see, he was our substitute. He is our substitute. And if you're here today and if you have not confessed Jesus as the Son of God, if you have not gotten to the point in your life where you've said, yeah, I need a Savior, today can be that day. Today you can have the assurance of God's love for you and his abiding in you. And if you have any questions at all about that, you can speak with someone you came with or come up front after the service. Like there'll be people up here. We would love to just talk to you about that, encourage you, pray with you, please don't hesitate to do that. We'd love for you to have that assurance. Well, communion here at Harvest is open to all believers. You don't need to be a member here. And as the trays are passed, you're going to find that uh, the cups, there's two cups nested together. Take both of those, and one is the bread, and one is the juice. And if you need gluten-free, you're going to find that in the middle of the tray. And as the elements are being passed, Just use this time to prayerfully reflect on the cross of Christ. To think about God's love that was demonstrated in sending his son to be our savior. And as a result, him abiding in us.